This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Hi, and welcome to today's episode. Today I'm talking to Barbara Keane from All Day Bags. Barbara makes quality bags for people on the go, the colours of land and sky. She uses UK-based textiles, Harris Tweed and Tartar from Scotland and Linton Tweed, who are the people who've made textiles for Chanel for the past 100 years. Barbara makes all kinds of products by hand, so she makes tote bags um, for laptops or shoes or shopping. She makes gadget bags, so you don't leave your cables or mouse behind. She makes little lavender bags, she makes bags for earbuds um and as you'll hear in this conversation she's really up for making absolutely anything that you might possibly need um and it's yeah this is a really lovely conversation I really enjoyed talking to Barbara about what she does it's really clear how much she loves it and um how dedicated she is to creating products that people love um yeah it was a really great conversation I really hope as always that you enjoy it oh hi Barbara thank you so much for being here hello how nice to speak to you Vicky Oh, it's lovely. Um, can you start, Barbara, by giving us an introduction to yourself, your business and what you make and sell, please? I'm Barbara Keane. I make bags for people to use instead of a plastic bag. My company is called All Day Bags, but I make little bags as well, small ones, so people can use them for other things as well. Thank you. And what are your bags made out of, Barbara? I use a lot of UK sourced fabrics. I use Harris Tweed, which is uh, made up in the Scottish islands. And I also use Linton Tweed, which is a company that's close to me. And they have made fabrics for Chanel for over 100 years. Oh, wow. And um, can you tell us a bit about the story of all day bags and what inspired you to get started? Well, I was sitting there with my knee up for th- for nine months after I'd had a knee operation, which took longer than I wanted it to. And when I began to feel better, I went, this is really, really boring. What am I going to do with my life? And it was just as plastic bags became um, not socially acceptable, very little, just in the very beginning. And I thought, we need a bag instead of a plastic bag. That was the original idea behind it. So the size of my tote bags, the size for laptop shoes and shopping. 
that was the idea. Uh, so that's the size of those. And then the smaller ones, uh, I've got drawstring bags for gadgets. I've got bags of bags for lavender. And as I'm sitting here, I've got lavender floating around because I've got the bags beside me here. So I've got this lovely smell of lavender around. Um, I do earbud bags as well. That's to stop them, all the, the cords getting tangled in your pockets. Uh, and I'm working on at the moment a, a, a Harris Tweed case for glasses. So a soft padded one. So uh, I can also do bespoke bags. If anybody wants a bag that isn't in my range, I'll see what I can do to help. So there we go. That's fantastic. And I assume that you had, well, actually, I know you have, because I've obviously read up on you a bit, Barbara, but so you had been sewing a bit, hadn't you, before you decided to start making your bags? Oh, yes, I have. I've sewn all my life. And the sewing machine that I use is the one that I sat beside my mother's knee when I was a small child. And um, my mother used to sew all sorts of things. She was an upholsteress and she used to make clothes. She made all my clothes when I was a child. So all the things that I do on my sewing machine, I, I use my mother's scissors as well. So all the things I do on my sewing machine, it's what I learned through osmosis when I was sitting around my mother's feet when I was a child. Oh, that is lovely. And I really like as well that, you know, you saw the opportunity with the plastic bags and then decided to do something. Can you remind me what year was that? Because it feels like forever we haven't been using plastic bags, but it wasn't that long ago, really, was it? No, it's about five or six years ago. Thank you. Um, and so what made you decide to get start, you know, to do this as a, as a business? And how did you sort of take something that you clearly love doing and turn it into a business? Well, I drafted some patterns up to start off with. I looked at the bags that I liked uh, and that worked for me and then worked out how what the pattern was. <clears throat> and I got some uh old material that i had and then chopped it up about and made some patterns out to see if it worked and if it didn't and see what i could change so that's how i came about the, the pattern for my tote bags um, and they've got very square corners they're called box corners because sometimes when you buy a bag it's just two pieces of material stitched together well, you can't get anything in it, so that's no good. So it needs some width in the base of it. So how do you do that? And the uh, what I put into my pattern was something called box corners. And uh, you cut out a square in the bottom corner where you want the uh, width to be. And then it's very difficult to describe. You cut out the square and then you pull it into sideways and then you stitch it across. So um, that's how you do that. So I've got a lot of width in the bottom of my tote bags and the handles, the handles, it, it slots together like a jigsaw puzzle. And um, the handles, when I'm making them, they're double width because I wanted handles that were nice and wide and soft for people. Because when you carry in a plastic bag, if it's heavy, it all cuts into your hands and makes your hands sore. So I wanted wide, soft handles and long enough to fit over your shoulder. So if you wanted to put the tote bag under your arm, you could do it that way as well. So there's a lot of material in the handles because they're folded in two and then they're folded in two again. So but um, I won't cut down on that because the handles are important. 
I love how much thought you've put into your products. Like they, they're so thoughtfully designed. I think it's great, Barbara, like how, you know, how you thought about every little thing to make sure these really are practical bags that people can actually use as well as looking lovely. Yeah, I I spend a lot of time on the pockets as well. The pockets on the tote bags are just inside at the top of of the bag because I wanted it to make it easy for you to get... uh, your phone or your keys if you're out with it under your arm because very often your keys are in the bottom of the bag and you're scratching about trying to find them and I'm very particular about the details on the pockets because the ribbon roses that I make as an embellishment I put that ribbon across the top of the pocket as well and sometimes uh, with the material you can get what's called woven salve edges and they are beautiful because they're all the colours that are actually the fabric is made out of. So I use the woven salvages as decoration for the pockets and, and use it like a little fringe together with the ribbon as well. That's lovely. I love how much attention you pay for detail. Um, and where do you get the inspiration for your bags? Your bags are beautiful. What, what inspires Thank you? Um, well, in the end, a product has got to be what somebody wants to buy. And if, you, if somebody doesn't get excited about the solution that it gives them, you're wasting your time. So a lot of the ideas that I've had, they become things that, well, people have mentioned to me. A lady came to my house and as she was uh, doing the interview with me, she put her mouse and her cable in a little bag and drawn it across the top as a little drawstring bag and she said if I don't put it in there I leave it behind and I thought oh that's a clever idea because people leave a cable behind or a mouse and then whenever they get to the next job or get home they can't do anything because they've left it behind so my my little gadget bags have actually got a label on it that says have you picked up your mouse and cable <laughs> to, <laughs> to make sure remember it says on it yeah yeah oh that's such a good idea and it's really nice that you're getting your ideas from your customers as well because it does seem like your products are really relevant like I like your idea of your earbud bags as well yeah yeah um I suppose, in fact, it was a gentleman who's one of my friends that said he had his earbuds in his pocket and they get kept getting tangled up with his keys. And I thought, oh, right, because I don't carry keys in a, a pocket like a gentleman does. So I, th- I said to him, oh, that's a good idea. So I made him one and t- sent it to him and said, will you test this for me? Um, so that's how we did that. And quite a few people like those. They've given them to people as Christmas presents as well. And that seemed to go down very well for gentlemen's presents. Yeah. Yeah. And do you get a lot of feedback from your customers then? Is that where you would, would you, is it fair to say that's where you get a lot of your feedback and your ideas for new things? Well, I always ask them what they think. And uh, I'd made uh, a mic bag, a bag for uh, the mic. Do you know Making Tsang, the FOMO lady? No, I don't. Okay. Making Tsang does uh, FOMO. And she'd done it at uh, Atomic when it was online. And she said to me, would I make her a bag? Because her microphone kept getting scratched. And uh, so I made her a bag out of lint and tweed and it was all padded and um, on the inside. So, but I had to measure, uh, I said, well, how big's your microphone? 
So she laid the microphone out on a, on a table and put a tape measure beside it and sent me the measurements for it. And uh, and then of course when and when I saw the picture, I realised that it had a band around it. In actual fact, it was quite wide, but the handle itself was very narrow. Then of course there's a round bit on the top that is the microphone itself. So um, I said to her. Uh, I'll do a mock-up of it just to see how big the bag has got to be. And I made it out of an Oakley milk carton just to get the dimensions of it because I didn't know how wide it had to be to get the, the, the diameter of the thing. So, uh, and then once I, I got the Oakley milk carton, I made what the, in the fashion industry, they call it a toile, but it, it's like a, a, some white cotton material and you make it up and you do all the adjustments on the white cotton material and use that as a pattern. So I did that. And then uh, I said, I consulted my BBC friend and I said, well, which way up does the microphone go in a bag? She said, oh, it goes the round bit at the bottom. Because I'm thinking, does it have to go across ways, up ways? So we did that. And she said, you've got to make sure that the cable doesn't get kinked. Oh, right. OK. So I said to me, King, are you going to put the cable actually in the bag as well? Yes, she said. I said, well, you have to make sure it doesn't get kinked. I'll make you a separate bag for the cable. So that's what I did. So making sang has got one of my Linton tweed bags for a microphone. <laughs> so, you know, and that's how it that's how things come about. And another lady wanted um, this beautiful Linton tweed that is black with a gold stripe in it uh, for going out in Newcastle. And she wanted to feel a dolly when she was going out in Newcastle. So wearing all her dolly shoes when she could get out in Newcastle. So I made her one of my drawstring bags. And she sent me the most beautiful um, Instagram reel of her little daughter wearing her black high heel shoes with with the dolly bag on her arm. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely how you can be so accommodating for your customers and well, how much you can do. Well, I, I will if I can. You know, if I couldn't do something, I would say I can't do that. It's not in my portfolio. So therefore, you know, if you want that, you better go to somebody else. So, yeah, but it's my customers that inspire me. Absolutely. And so how did you actually get All Day Bags started as a business, Barbara? So obviously you did a lot of work in sort of creating your bags and making sure they were practical. So how did you start selling them? What were the first was, things you did? I was doing uh, craft fairs at the time. And uh, I went to quite, there's quite a few craft fairs around where I live. So I was, I was do, going to craft fairs and getting my name out that way. And uh, all my friends and family bought my bags. So I thought, well, they must, and they came back for some more as well. Uh, all the people who bought one have usually bought at least two or three. And um, so I thought, well, it must be a good product. If, it, if they're coming back for some more, it's gotta be a good product. So that's how I got started. And then of course we had, all the the face-to-face -face contact with the people who I was dealing with went away during COVID. So I've had to work very hard recently of getting my name out there uh, on social media, which is what I'm doing at the minute. Yeah, so, I, so was it, were you just um, doing craft fairs before COVID? So were you on, did you have a website or anything or was it just purely face-to-face -face that you were selling? I did have a website. But um, one of the things about making a product 
is you've got to sell it. So uh, you've got to get your name out there as well. And in the beginning, I wasn't very good at social media. Um, I think I'm, I've improved a lot, but I'm not brilliant yet. But I'm actually, I'm, I'm doing a lot better than I was. And I'm doing a, a course with Janet Murray about engaging content. And Janet Murray's fantastic. It's, it's very structured what she does. And she gives you lots of templates for things. And, and I've got an accountability sheet in front of me with days of the week on it. And I've got to tick off when I've done it. So, and which platform you're going to use and that sort of thing. So that is brilliant. So it actually makes you, but you've got to make sure that whatever you start, you can continue. So uh, my engagement and reach is improving. And one lady said to me, why don't, uh, have you got to, why don't you join Google My Business? So uh, I joined that. So there's a Google My Business shop. And the person that have been very helpful uh, is the Department of Trade and Industry. And also, I'll tell you about that there before I go on to the next bit. Uh, the, I've got an international business advisor uh, working out of Manchester. And she's absolutely fabulous. When I had to, I had an order for America this week and I had to check what had changed since I last sent an order to America. And there's something called commodity codes. And you've got to find your way through those to get your customs sheets right. And then of course, you've got to have all the invoicing right as well. And one company tells you you've got to have uh, five lots of your invoice in the see-through plastic pocket. Somebody else tells you it's different. The post office says it's different again. And then you've got to look at all the tax regulations. Is it payable? What I don't want to happen is that my product arrives in with the customer and then they've got to pay to get it out of customs. I don't want that to happen. So you've got to find your way through all of that. So Department of Trade and Industry have been absolutely fantastic. I've also had a lot of help through Digital Cumbria and um, it only started fairly recently that, I don't think that's, I don't know how long it's been going altogether, but they've been very helpful uh, with all the tech that is needed to get my uh, website out of the doldrums. And I've got a meeting with a graphic designer next week, hopefully, um, and he's going to help me with all the uh, graphic design that's needed for my website as well. So I had a lot of help from a lot of fantastic people, but it's trying to find the right people with the right skills that is a difficult bit. So you just got to keep going till you find the right people to help, such as yourself. Thank you. Well, it sounds like you've done a great, a great job at doing that. And I'm actually quite curious about the Department of Trade and Industry. So how did you get involved with them, Barbara? Did you just reach out to them? Because it sounds like they're really useful but I didn't know that was something that was available to people yes um I reached out to them because I knew I knew about Department of Trade and Industry I didn't know that well what the all the bits and pieces that they did but uh over the last um, several months they've, they've been running quite a few webinars very structured on a weekly basis and the guy who did that uh used to live in Spain and run a business in Spain. And he was extremely knowledgeable about anything that you need to know about um, 
exporting, importing, uh, the people, the agents that you need, if you need any, and all the different customs regulations for anywhere in the world that you want to send your goods. They're extremely helpful. It sounds like since the sort of lock, I guess the first lockdown and the end of craft fairs, you've done an incredible amount. You've made some really big changes, it sounds like, in terms of how you sell your products. Yes, yes, I've had. I have. But it was all the stuff that I had to get my head round anyway. And I think in, in that respect, COVID has been a gift because I've had to do it. Uh, as I said, it, it's not enough to make a product. You've got to sell it. So you've got to find a way of selling it. And when you're just a one man band or there's just you, you've got to do absolutely everything that is you need to do to sell it. Yeah. Um, one of the things I did do <clears throat> uh, in the beginning, uh, I know a bit about time and motion study. <clears throat> and in the beginning, when I was starting to make my bags, I was actually I actually had a stopwatch around my neck to work out how long it took me to make one bag uh, to make sure I got my costings right. And then I got my accountant to give me a costing model. Um, so everything is based on the costing model that my accountant gave me. So, but then you've got to sort of slide up and slide down a bit with various things that you've got to do. So you've got to work out what your margins are and what you're prepared to give away sometimes and that's always not easy. I think pricing is always tricky particularly when you, when you have make but it's really interesting the way you've done that so did you have an idea of what your time what it sounds like you did you knew what your an hour of your time was worth to you? Oh absolutely yeah 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 yeah. Well I think that's amazing because a lot of people don't actually price like that and sort of don't even factor in the time so the fact that you have taken into account the time and the materials I think is a really smart way of pricing actually yeah I, I, I you've got to work out what margins you're prepared to work for and in the end what your time is worth but anything is only worth what somebody's prepared to pay for it it's like of buying course. and selling a house you know so uh yeah uh whether I should put my prices up I don't know yet um don't know still working on that so with all of the changes that you've had over the past let's say 18 months it feels like it's been about that now um what have been some of the biggest challenges do you think for me yeah getting my head around all the tech that is required to contribute on social media um people have mentioned things to me and then you know that's a good idea you know have a look at that but then it takes you ages to pick it up something like Canva, uh, which I've been doing this morning. Um, and then if you do the Facebook business suite, which I've been doing, the things that you create on to go on Instagram, they don't always fit. So then you've got to find another way of doing it. So it's all that tech stuff that drives me a bit bonkers, really. Yeah, it sounds like it was, yeah, like a huge learning curve. Were you using social media much sort of personally before you got online for your business? Yes. Yes, I was. Yes. So now I do Facebook business because I learned you had to have a business account so you could do the creative bit. And then, but you can do Instagram on it as well, but you say it doesn't always fit. So this morning I've been, as I say, I've been doing Canva and that seems to have posted fairly easily because my Instagram page isn't what I want it to be. So I'm working on that. 
Now that sounds it sounds really good that you're like obviously you've got a lot on but it sounds like you're really embracing all of the changes that you need to make oh yes you've got to haven't you you know you can't stand still whatever it is you don't want to be living in the past you've got to be living in the future oh absolutely and do you think could you see yourself going back to doing craft fairs is that something you you see yourself doing in the future if and when they come back um I'm not sure how I would feel about it. Uh, it might be worth a try, something like the Christmas ones or something like that, because I do have uh, bags of lavender that are sort of smaller items that would uh, be okay, you know, for something like a craft fair. Um, and then if it just gives you, if you just give out a lot of business cards, you know, and I, I know the Christmas ones around here that usually run uh, and, and have been okay, so they're worth going to. So you've got to be careful that you don't spend an awful lot of petrol going somewhere and then you don't sell anything. So, yeah. Yeah. I hope you didn't mind me asking the question. I, ju- I just wonder, because obviously now you're running your business very differently to how you were two years ago, say. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just wondered if you could see yourself sort of not, not going back. Of course, you're always moving forwards, but whether you could see sort of selling face to face being part of that as well. A sale's a sale, isn't it? it yeah. It matter. doesn't matter where it comes from. No, absolutely not. And do you feel like you're reaching more people now that you're focusing more online? I mean, it's, you said you've had customers in America. I guess that's something that never happened when you were selling just, you know, on, on craft fairs. So do you think you're getting a bigger reach? Yes. Uh, and I'm keeping a, an eye on the numbers as well, just to see what posts work and what they don't and who engages and who doesn't and you know so I'm doing all of that at the minute but uh, asking questions seems to be the best thing trying to get people to engage. Absolutely and are you selling your products anywhere else other than on your website at the moment? Um, I've got to google my business and at the moment in the UK, I'm sticking to the UK and the USA because uh, what I don't want to do is get into something that's extremely complex in perhaps Japan or where you've got a totally different culture. Although Lynch and Tweed do sell a lot in a lot in Japan, but you've got a totally different culture. You've then got to make sure that your website is internationally uh, enabled. So I'm speaking, I'm sticking to English language countries at the minute. Um, I do a lot of tartan, which I was wanting to appeal to expatriates in America and in Canada. And perhaps all the dance, the uh, Scottish dance schools in, in America and Canada and in the New York and that sort of thing. So that's why I've included quite a bit of tartan one way or another over the over the last 18 months. I've got a lovely drawstring brag that's got tartan panels on it. And some of the lavender bags of lavender are made out of tartan and the earbud bags have got tartan as well. So uh, English speaking markets at the minute. And is, has it changed how you're um, sort of making your bags now that you're selling online? So because I'm assuming that when you were selling at craft fairs, you need to sort of make up a quantity and take them along with you so you can just sell them on the day. Are you selling more to order now that? you know, yourselves are online or are you make, you know, are you selling, you know, you're making to order or are you making up batches still? Has that changed? I make up batches. So I've got so many in stock of each one that I've got. 
Um, so sometimes I do a lot of sewing and then other times I don't do any sewing at all. But sitting down at my sewing machine gives me such a lot of pleasure. I don't know, it's just part of my DNA, I think, from when I was a child. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like you enjoy the sewing part. So, um, so yeah, it must be nice just to be able to sit down for a couple of hours and just make up a load of bags. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I love the, I'm the sort of person that if you take me to uh, a shop that sells lots of material, um, like John Lewis or something like that, I go in their textile department and I go around patting it all. And when I say that to other sewers, they go, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's the textures of it. I don't know if it's the colours of it. I don't know what it is, but textiles just does it for me. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if it makes you happy, that's wonderful. Yeah. I guess there must be quite a balance I often talk to makers about this between actually making your bags and selling them so how do you sort of manage the balance of both because obviously they're both equally as important well you can either do one or the other so if I do batches uh, on uh, in my workroom I've got so many of each one and then uh, I I sort of think about that as a a minimum stock requirement and then uh, I do have some cut out ready to uh, make up. So it, that, that, the cutting out bit, uh, I've got a very large table because some of the material that is very, very wide, you actually need a cutting table because it takes up the whole of the width of the table. And if you don't get it square on the table, you can end up with something that's not square when you're making it up. So, and also when you buy a, a, even a meter of material, you've got to find out how the pattern fits on uh, particularly the tote bags. I have a, a large square see-through plastic square that enables me to put on top of the pattern to see where the pattern fits within the bag. Particularly if you've got like a tartan or a square of any description you've got to make sure that it matches all the way around because otherwise when it's made up the pattern doesn't match either across the bottom or down the sides and I'm very particular about that uh, it, every line has got to meet across the edges so cutting it out is vital to make sure that you get the pattern in the right place very easy to get it off square so you've got sometimes with the material, you've got to pull it to straighten it out. So you've got to pull it across both ways to make sure it's square before you start out. So you need a big cutting table as well. So I do all the cutting out on, on a particular material that if I find that it's um, the right sort of material for the job, and then cut it all, cut all out one piece. So I've, I've always got, I've always got cut out material ready to stitch. Yeah, and is that the piece that's most time consuming, the cutting? Um, it can be, uh, but usually it's the making up. Again, it depends with what sort of material that it is. The cutting, um, because you've got to make sure it's absolutely exact, it's all chalked out to make sure that each bit is right before I start cutting it out. So I'm very particular about that. And, but I think one of the time, most time consuming bits is making sure that each line meets across the edge of the, the bag. And I have been known to hand, hand tack it uh, 
to make sure that it's absolutely exact or even when I've stitched it and it's moved about um I've unpicked it to make sure that it comes out right do you know I love Barbara how much attention to detail you pay and how much you care about quality I just think that's fantastic like I have the because you can just tell the, the amount of care you put in to making sure every single bag is perfect I'm convinced that every single customer who buys from you just gets a perfect bag I hope so well perfect for them I know what goes out of my workshop is as good as I can possibly make it um I was stitching the um is it that linter tweed that linter tweed I'll just show you that because we're on zoom now the color of that gray for that label linter tweed label you think it'd be white stitching would go on that but and I actually unpicked that label three times because before I got the colour of the stitching right, the, the colour of the thread right, but then to get the label to be stitched exactly right, you've got to get the needle to hit the very edge of the, the bag so you can turn the corner while the needle is in the label. And I couldn't get the uh, length of the stitch right. And uh, I unpicked it three times before I got the colour of the thread right and the length of the stitch right. But now I know I've got the thread right. Uh, but that that's a sort of, I'm fussy about that and it's got to work. So, you know, um, I wouldn't, I'm very fussy about quality. Anybody, anything that I'm receiving for myself, that's what I want to give back to my customers. No, I think, and I think that's really nice. I'm certain your customers really appreciate it. So what are some of, and I know you spoke about some of them, Barb, but what are some of the other things you're doing to promote your business in your bags? Uh, talking to you. That's nice. I've never <laughs> done a podcast before ever. So that was really nice. Uh, I appreciate you asking me. And what I'm doing with my social media, I'm doing Facebook, Instagram and Google My Business. But I've lost the tech. It's always the tech. I've lost the first account that I set up. So I'm setting up another one. So um, I'm doing three things and getting myself out as much as I can. And I think three things make sense as well, because as you alluded to earlier, you need to start things that you can see through. So there yes. will be no point in being on every single social media platform for example because then you'd never have time to make anything and it just no. wouldn't be sustainable no. so yeah that makes total sense to just stick with the things that you know and that are working and I mean are, are they working for you and are you enjoying them I guess oh I mean I enjoy doing it yes because I like keeping busy and trying to think up all the different things that I've got to post about and make sure that it's relevant to my business so I've been posting today about reducing plastic and because that's something I'm, I, I think I'm I'm a bit fussy about fussy about recycling and um although don't tell anybody but I don't think I've rinsed my tins out enough before I put them out <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so I'm certainly uh reducing plastic my black bin has hardly got anything in it whatsoever and anything else goes in plastic or in cardboard um so yeah we can't keep continuing creating all this rubbish that nobody knows what to do with so I've been posting today about make sure you've got um, a refillable drinks bottle that's something I've been doing for years because as soon as I get up in the morning I drink a litre of water and you can see from my my very battered litre bottle 
how long I've had it. So I drink a litre of water in the morning when I get up. Then I just fill up the bottle and then make sure I drink another litre throughout the day. So, yeah, very important. Yeah, and, that, and like you said, it really aligns with your brand as well, because your brand was all about sort of stopping using the plastic single-use bags yeah. as well. Um, so, yeah, that's fantastic. And when this episode goes live, I will link over to your Instagram and Facebook pages as well so people can come and see what you're talking about and join in the conversation with you. Thank you very much. Before we finish up, Barbara, I'd love to know, what is your number one piece of advice? And I'm saying it like that because I'm thinking there might, you, you might have more because you're full of good advice. Um, but what is your top <laughs> advice for? Is that, is that a good for, idea? <laughs> for other people wanting to sort of make and sell their own products, what advice would you like people to take away from this? Get your costings right. Work out how long it takes you to make something. And if you can't get a reasonable costing, that you think something somebody's going to pay, find a cheaper, quicker way of doing it. So you you get your costings right. That's really good advice. Thank you. And I've actually no one's ever made that point before as well. That actually possibly you could do something cheaper or quicker if you you know if you can't make the, the price work out. So thank you. That's really valuable. I think. Yeah. Sometimes you can spend too long putting all the fancy bits on the outside. And really, it's not necessary. That's really useful. Thank you. And thank you so much for everything you've shared today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Well, I hope all the things that I've shared uh, can help other people who are uh, in a similar situation to me, trying to get a business out there and trying to get it to work. No, I really think they will be. I really think they're going to help. So thank you so much. Your pleasure. It's been a great, great being here. Thank you very much indeed for your help. Oh, you're welcome. It's been lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, thank you so much for listening. As always, I would absolutely love to know what you thought of this episode. Please do remember to rate and view the show and also, most importantly, subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And as a reminder, I release a new episode every single Friday. So take care and look forward to speaking to you again then. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.